Okay, so we are in uh, our faith, uh, our, our Let There Be series, going through Genesis, and, um, and just about halfway through right now. And thus, at this point, we have talked about uh, the creation, how God is all-powerful, all-present, all-wise. I mean, he's able to make this creation. We talked about last week how people, how we have this pattern in our lives where we betray God, and we sin, we all have fallen short, we betray God. There's judgment, there's problems in our life, and, and yet God comes back and also gives us hope. And we see this, this process today. We're going to continue this series, and we're going to talk about the life of a man named Abraham. And there's a different way to relate to God other than just betrayal. Um, there's a pretty amazing thing that God shows us. And so our memory verse today comes to us from, of course, Abraham's life. It's after he receives this promise from God, and... Uh, this is what he says. It says, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. And so that's our memory verse today. It comes to us from Genesis 15:6. So why don't you say it along with me? Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Genesis 15:6. All right, again. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Genesis 15:6. All right, that's an easy one, so we'll just lose some of those letters right off the bat. How about that? Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Genesis 15:6. All right, again. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Genesis 15:6. All right, you guys have this. We'll take away the letters. Ready? Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Genesis 15:6. Oh, very good. That was, that was almost too easy. But here's the thing. We have this, uh, last week we talked about humans have this, this problem in our nature where we think that we can know righteousness apart from God. That was the problem that we started in Eden when we took the fruit and we ate from that. And we were able to come up with our own standards of right and wrong and we think that we can be righteous. And what we've seen in the previous chapters of Genesis is that going wrong. Right? Where we try to do our own thing, we try to do what we thought was right and we thought that would make us righteous. And it didn't work. It caused violence, frustration, pain, death, destruction, judgment on the earth. And it wasn't just, you know, right at first from Adam's family. We saw that, you know, um, afterwards it led to Noah. God had to flood the earth, gave us another start. We still did the same thing because people are people. And then after, even after the ark, we went and we tried to build a big old tower and say we're not going to do what God tells us to do. And then he spreads us out and, and, and disperses us different languages. And it was in the midst of that where God then reveals a new way of righteousness. Actually, it's the way that the only way of righteousness for, for sinful people like us. So let's talk about Abraham. Abraham was this, this guy. He, he lived in um, Ur of the Chaldeans, which is... Uh, it was the area that was actually pretty close to where uh, the uh, Garden of Eden was before the flood. Um, down there, it was uh, down in the Sinai Peninsula area. He was kind of didn't he moved away from Era. His family did from after Noah. They went kind of back to that general area. But at that time, it was uh, an area with rich minerals. There was a lot of uh, uh, the ground was was very fertile. It was a good place to live. There was two rivers there. It was a happy place, a good place to, to have a civilization. And that's exactly what he grew up in. And also, 
despite the fact that you know people lived a lot longer back then. They started living a lot less after the flood, but they lived a while. It has only been about one generation removed from Abraham since, uh, Abraham since Noah's sons passed away. The last generation of people who were on the ark were only one generation removed from Abraham. And you would think that that would make a difference as to the spiritual climate of the world, right? If you could actually talk to somebody who said, I was on the ark and I saw the world destroyed and I saw, you know, we stepped off and we saw the rain and heard God talk, you would think that, that those people would be pretty emphatic, don't mess this up, God's real. But what we find is in Abraham's time and is that in the early Chaldeans, they were, didn't just worship one god. They worshipped all kinds of little gods. They had these little clay statues that they would figurines that they would put into their houses and things like this. They, they believed in regional gods, gods that were powerful over a certain area. And if you left and went to a different city, well, then you better bring offerings to that other god. Because your god from your hometown was certainly not powerful enough to be god over there. I think how ridiculous that is. These people were one generation you know, that's removed from a God who flooded the whole earth. But that's how people are, isn't it? They try to seek a different righteousness, little gods that they could control, little gods they could put in their house. This is the society that Abraham grew up in. You know, Abraham didn't have a Bible. You know, he didn't go to, to you know, church because there was no church. Didn't go to synagogue because, guess what? There wasn't the Jewish people yet. That started with him. It was an amazing thing to think about what Abraham didn't have, but what he did have was a sense to have faith. And God saw all the world, and he saw that in every part of the world, and it wasn't just Ur of the Chaldeans where we started making up little gods. Did you know that people moved all the way up to where China is now, and they moved up into where Europe is? And some of them got on boats, and they came across to the Americas. You know, everywhere we go in the world, what we find? Little figurines of gods. After the flood, we created idols. That's like the first thing that humans end up doing. It's, it's, it's insane. And God takes from this group of scattered, shattered people, and he finds this man who grows up in this society with tiny gods. And he, he looks down and he says, this is the guy I'm going to work through. Now, of course, God in his infinite wisdom would have known Abraham. But I think it's fascinating that in the society, if it's a human perspective, we would look into the society, especially as Christians, as those who know Christ, would say, that is probably not the area that, or the society that I would assume a godly legacy would come from. But God sees it. Now, Abraham wasn't called at birth. He wasn't even called as a young man. He grows up in the society. He grows old in that society. He is 75 years old. Retirement age, he is ready to, he's, he's lived this life. He has friends, he has family, he has, he has wealth, he has prosperity, he has everything he needs. He's ready to live the easy life. This is not the time from a human perspective. We would say, okay, now's the time we're going to start a people. It wasn't the time, the place, the society. Nothing we would have chosen. But God calls him. And Abraham moves picks up everything, and he moves to a land that was foreign to him. He follows the rivers because you don't walk through the desert because you die. So he walks around the rivers, ends up coming down into the, the Holy Land, and starts living the tent life, starts being a nomad. 
And God blesses him and he starts to get all kinds of flocks and, and things like this. And God ends up, uh, it says to him, all right, you're here and, and, and I'm with you. And Abraham gets upset with God and says, why does it matter? Why does it matter that you've given me all these things? I don't have any kids. My wife is old. I am old. The person that's going to inherit all this is going to be my slave. And God says, it's, don't worry. You're going to have a child. And he takes him out and he says, look up at the stars. You're going to have more kids than you can count. That's what you're going to have. And Abraham again believes God. But time passes. And he still doesn't have a kid. And his wife's getting older and all this. And Sarah says, you know what? Maybe you're going to have a kid, but not through me. Well, we didn't think of this. I have a handmaiden. I have a slave. Why don't you have a kid through her? And Abraham does. And Ishmael's born. And God shows up and says, well... That's great that you have that son, and I'll bless him because I'll bless you, but that's not the one whom you're going to have these stars. This is not where your, your, your heritage is going to come from. And Abraham believes God. And 13 years later, they're like 100 years old, 99, God gives them a son. I think this is an amazing thing, that there was this, this finally... This fulfillment. Now, in between that time, of course, this guy named Lot moves along with Abraham. Lot's uh, Abraham's nephew because God brings or Abraham brings his family with him. Lot ends up uh, going down to this area called Sodom and Gomorrah, or Sodom. He ends up setting up life there because they were getting so wealthy they couldn't live close to each other. Because I guess that's what happens. <laughs> and he goes down there, and and then there was all these other kings. They attack five kings. Attack these. Uh, these a couple state, or these couple cities, and takes Lot and all the city captive. And, and Abraham's so powerful at the time, he goes down and frees him, right? And then sets. I think that's so crazy. Abraham saved Sodom, and then later on in his life, God shows up and says, "I'm going to kill. I'm going to burn Sodom." And Abraham bargains with God, which I think is awesome. He's like, "There's 50 good guys in the city. Will you not burn it?" And God's like, "I won't burn it for 50 good guys. How about 40? How about 30?" I love it. I mean, this, he was awesome. He was like, all right, got it down, got down to five. There was just five good guys in the whole city. God wasn't going to burn it, but there wasn't. And God brings judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, Abraham sees some amazing things in his life. Lot ends up moving up to these hill country where he has kids with his daughters, and they end up being the Moabites, and it's, it's crazy. I mean, you see, God is at work in this, and, and Abraham didn't have this like super simple life. It wasn't like God showed up and every day just told him, this is what you're going to do, this is what I want you to do. It was God would show up in these a few times in his life, at very key moments, and Abraham believed him. And then crazy hard things would happen, like cities, like nations would attack where his relatives were. And you know, rough things would happen. His, uh, he would be intimidated by kings. He would move close to a really powerful city, and then because his wife apparently was attractive, even though she was old, and she was like, you know what? He was afraid that those kings would kill him because his wife was attracted, and he would lie. He was like, no, she's my sister. Right? He wasn't perfect. Here's this guy that you would look at, and you would say, really, the father of righteousness? Really? Well, that's, this is this guy, this Abraham. Because the righteousness didn't come from Abraham. And that's what we're going to see as we, we look into the text. First thing that I, I want to see this, I want you to see is when we read the story of Abraham is that God gives him a couple promises. There's this first promise that God gives to Abraham way early on when he was at the, the, the spry young age of 75. He says, I will make you to a great nation. 
And I will bless you and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And you will, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed to you. Now, there's a lot of promises that God makes to Abraham. He's Abraham, 75, in his hometown, everything good. And God says, move to the country or I'm going to show you. If you do that, this is what I'm going to do for you. The first thing he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. Now, Abraham was presumably pretty well off where he was at, but he wasn't a great nation. He certainly wasn't the head of the, of the Ur of the Chaldeans. He didn't have any kids. I mean, that's a pretty big promise. And it speaks to our need as people. We want to have that, that heritage. That, and God says, I want to do that for you. I'm going to make your name great. It's not you that's going to make your name great. I will do that for you. I will give you the prestige, importance. I will, and, uh, and you will be a blessing. I think that's the amazing thing. That God's going to make Abraham a blessing. Not that Abraham's going to make him a blessing, but God will. And I'm going to bless those who bless you and never curse you and curse. I'm on your back. I got your back. Right? And your allies are going to be my friends and those are your enemies. Well, they're going to have a hard time. And this is the last part. All people on earth will be blessed you. That's pretty massive. Can you imagine if God showed up to you, like you're, you know, you're walking down the street, and says, shows up and says, hey, I'm going to bless everyone on the earth through you. You'd be like, what? Me? The earth is a big place. There's a lot of people. But God does this. Now, one thing I want you to notice in this promise that God gives God, these, these four things he says he's going to do for him, is God is the one who does it. I will do this. Not you. Not you are going to make yourself into a great nation. I'm going to do that. It's not you that are going to make your name great. I'm going to make your name great. And that's what's going to make you a blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you. It's not you. It's not because you're so powerful and good that you're going to be a blessing to others. I'm doing something in you. I'm going to bless others through you. And all people on the earth will be blessed to you. This is the work of God. All Abraham had to do was trust. It wasn't like God said, do all these things. And then he just says, trust me. Move to a different place. And this is what's going to happen. I will do it. So God makes this amazing promise to Abraham. In fact, if you think about this promise, it's almost too much. It's almost too good to be believed. Right? If you ever say like something is too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. Can you imagine? I mean, that's a pretty good thing. Your heritage is taken care of. You'll be taken care of. Your allies and your friends will be taken care of. Those you don't like you won't be taken care of. But everyone's going to actually be good through. I mean, this is a great thing. And I'm going to do it. You don't have to do anything. Abraham does something amazing. This is Abraham believed God. 75. Based on nothing other. Abraham didn't grow up in a community where God, the one true God, was even worshipped. He didn't have a Bible to go to to see that God keeps his promises like this. He He probably heard the stories of the flood. But with so little. This is what Abraham does. Abraham went as the Lord told him. Can you imagine? Just picks up shop. Can you imagine his wife trying to explain that to her? Oh yeah, we're ready to retire. We're gonna go. We're gonna go RVing in a different place. But look at this. Abraham went. He was seventy-five years old. And he took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they accumulated, all the people they'd acquired in Haran, and they sent up for the land of Canaan, and they, and they arrived there. First thing we see that Abraham does is he leaves everything. He's all in. It wasn't like Abraham's like, all right, well, I'm going to keep my house there just in case this whole 
promise thing doesn't pan out. Right? He leaves. He doesn't keep one foot back. He goes. Leaves everything based upon a promise. That is faith. Where are you going? I don't know. God's going to be there. How do you know you're going to be a great nation? I don't know, because God's going to do it. I, we're just going to, we're going to make this happen. It's going to be better there than here. How do you know? I'm going to trust God. That's faith. But not only does he leave everything, look what he takes. He takes everything. He doesn't leave an investment back. He doesn't, he doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to keep some of my family back there. I'm going to keep my ties. I'm going to keep all that. He takes everything. He takes his wife. He takes his nephew. Can you imagine? That's, that's a pretty big family move. All the possessions, all of them, everything's accumulated. Gets everything together. We are all in. And I think that's phenomenal because the only thing that we know that he had a connection with God is that God just saying, showing up and saying, move. He's 100% in. And he sets a pattern for us. Well, years passed, and uh, Abraham wasn't a great nation yet, right? He didn't have a kid. Um, all the people on the earth aren't being blessed through him quite yet. In fact, he's at this point in the time, he's uh, uh, a little afraid of the, the surrounding people. He just fought that battle with the different kings. He defeats five kings and rescues Lot right before this happens. And then all the kings, all the loot he was going to get from them, from Sodom and all this, they said, okay, you get to keep all this stuff. And he's like, no, I don't want that because I don't want anyone to say that I got rich by taking from you guys. So you take everything, you take all your junk back with you. I don't need it. And then he's sitting there, and you know how sometimes after you have a big victory, you get depressed? Have you ever had like a really big day, and you're like just super high, and then you, you come back home, and you're like, I think it was one of those. I do. I think because Abraham, he's sitting there, and it says this. This is after this. That's after he beats the five kings. Years after God gives him the promise. He's been the promised land for a long time. It says, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. This is after Abram says to the kings, I don't want all the loot. You have it. God says, I'm going to be your very great reward. Don't be afraid. So God shows up after so many years of, from Abram's perspective, not keeping his promise. I imagine God's blessing him and he's wealthy, but where's this great nation? Where's all these things? God shows up in reminder, hey, listen, I'm going to be the one that does this, but... Abraham was Abraham was was real with God. What Abraham said it says next verse, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who's going to inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my house will be my heir. Basically he's calling God out. He's like, I have moved everything. I'm all in. I left everything. I'm here. You have prospered me, there's no doubt, but what can you give me that's going to keep this promise for you? I have no Children, I can't have a great nation if I have no heritage. And he's pointing out what he says to God. Listen, I'm, I, I've gone all this way. I've done all these things, but I, need to, I don't see that you're keeping your, your promise. And instead of chastising, which I think is an amazing thing, this is what God does. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son is of your, who is of your own flesh and of your own blood will be your heir. And he took him outside. And I wonder how that happened. You know, because it says the word of the Lord. So did God then like show up next to him, put his arm around him, walk him outside? Or did he just like, like flash him outside in the spirit? I don't know how it happened. But it says he took him outside. 
And he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So God addresses Abraham's question in his faith with another promise. He says, okay, you're having a hard time trusting my promise, so I'm going to give you another promise. And and this is my promise, that you will have biological children. That's going to be my promise to you. You're going to have not just a little. You're going to have so many descendants. They're going to be countless. This is how Abraham responds. Remember, no Bible. God talked to him probably, you know, eight years earlier. That was the last time we have recorded that God showed up and talked to him. Shows up again. Abraham says, I don't, I don't see your promise coming through. God says, okay, I'll give you another promise. And Abraham says, I believe the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Was it that Abraham did something phenomenal? No. He had faith that was phenomenal. He said, all right, I'm going to trust this God. It's amazing. I w- and when we get to heaven, won't it be fascinating to sit down with Abraham, you know, probably have big lecture halls or something, because he'd probably have lots of people all the time asking him, until maybe like the millionth year, and then everyone's heard the story, and then he'll be able to live in peace. But when we go, we sit there, we look at Abraham and say, what gave you the faith to trust God? I mean, in spite of all the evidence to the contrary, What gave you the faith to believe? But he did. And God saw that faith. And something that Abraham never could have accomplished on his own, God gave to him. Righteousness. What all of humanity, up to that point, remember everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, and then the world basically fell apart, and there was sin and judgment and death and all this. We all thought we were so self-righteous, and we made the world awful. By faith, Abraham receives what we could never attain on our own. Ah, that's fascinating. It doesn't say by Abraham believed the Lord and then God, you know, and then God saw that and blessed him. Right? It said God credited to him as righteousness. That's huge. <laughs> so Abraham receives these two promises, but God wasn't done. This all happened probably six, eight years after God you know, when Abraham first received the promise at 75. So Abraham, when he received that last promise, you're going to have kids. He's probably in his mid-80s. And then Genesis 17, 15 through 16. This is 11 years after that first promise. 11 years later. And uh, uh, Hagar had Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old after he has Ishmael. Right? Because I imagine what happened is God said, you're going to have biological children. Sarah said, well, wait a second. You can't have biological children through me. And that's where... That's where uh, Hagar and, and Ishmael came from. That was 11 years later. And then God tells Abraham, Ishmael is not going to be your son of promise. And then 13 years pass after that. So now we're like 24 years later after he first receives the promise. And Abraham still doesn't have a son. Not one that God says is the child of promise. And then we read. And this. Uh, it says, God said to Abraham. As for, your, as for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sari. Her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her. And I will surely give her a, you a son by her. And I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. What an amazing promise. He doesn't just give Abraham promises. He gave Sarah a promise too. You, barren woman, this is what you've wanted your whole life. I'm going to give you a son. 
And he calls her out by name and he changes her name. I think it's fascinating. God changes Abraham's name just a little bit before that. You see his name's Abraham now. God changed it from Abram to Abraham. Abram was, was exalted father. That's like uh, big daddy, I guess, if you like modern day stuff, right? You know, he's like, and then changes it to father of many. Think about that. Like God changed it so it's very identical. Every time somebody said his name, you'd be reminded of God's promise. Well, he does the same thing for Sarah. So her name was Sari, which is a form of princess, right? But it, what it means is really that, uh, that God is, is prince. And he changed her name to Sarah, which is another form of princess, but it, what it means is one that's in line of, of royalty, princess. And so he changes it. You're not just on the outside. You're not just a princess because God is prince. You are a princess. You are, uh, you are a in the lineage of royalty. Every time someone said Sarah's name, what a reminder. No, no. You are in this. You're a woman of promise. That was powerful. And God gives Sarah this, this promise. And then what happens? There was fulfillment. It was years later. It says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. And as he said, and as the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. I think that's amazing. There was, and in doing so, God fulfills his promise to Abraham and to Sarah and to the whole world. Now, this was not a quick, quick fix. Um, Genesis uh, 21, 2 through 5 says, Sarah became pregnant, bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son, Sarah bore to him. When Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. That's 25 years later after the promise. Can you imagine? And then it says in Hebrews 11:11, 11, 11, we find even later on, as it talks about the pillars of our faith, those that, that great cloud of witnesses that we have to encourage us, it says this, It was the faith that made Abraham able to become a father. Even though he was too old and Sarah herself could not have children, he trusted in God to keep his promise. It's faith. So up until this point in Genesis, we saw that God is creator, that people, we are basically rebels. We betray God, and there is judgment. But there's always hope. And then God brings about, through Abraham, he reveals a new way of righteousness, something that we can trust, something that, that is phenomenal. See, God promises the impossible to us in our lives. God asks us to, to believe in him, to trust him, that he will save us from our sins. He asks us to love our enemies. He asks us to, to bless those who persecute us. Right? He asks us to, to uh, be truth-tellers, to be kind-hearted, to be generous in a world that uh, is, we have to eke out of living. Right? He tells us to do all these things. And he says, I will take care of you. I love you. I will. He has promises for us. See, God promises what in our world would seem like the impossible. Best, most of all, he promises a new nature, a new spirit. I mean, how many of us have walked through life and you say, I am a sinful person and I do these same things over and over and over again and I want to be different. And we can try religion. We can try to be righteous by ourselves, that self-righteousness, and it never works. And God says, I will give you a new nature. God promises the impossible all the time for us. I think that's the purpose. 
Because God does for us what we can't do, but there is a way we connect to that. It wasn't just that God showed up and said to Abraham, I'm going to do this. And then, and then Abraham said, I don't believe you, and then walked away. Because if he did that, I imagine we probably wouldn't be singing Father Abraham songs, right? There was a response that was necessary. The promise was a gift. It was just from God. God gives this gift, the impossible, to us. He says, here, I love you. I want you to have this. You could never get it yourself. I want you to have it. But there's something that he requires of us, and it is simply this, faith. It's not a work. It's just the sense to trust this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God. To say he can do what he says, even if we think it's impractical or impossible. See, it's by faith that we believe in God's promise. Faith is that act of the Spirit that changes how we think. It's, it, it, it's saying, you know, despite my doubts, I'm going to choose to trust God. I'm going to believe. And in spite of my nature that would live other way, I would live a different way if it wasn't for you, my faith is going to cause me to trust you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to, I'm going to do what you ask because you're God. That's act of faith. It is by faith that changes our lives in such a way that we can receive God's blessing for us. What an amazing thing. It's a new way. But here's a cool thing that I get from Abraham's story. It wasn't just that God gave Abraham and Sarah this promise and then just made them wither and then they never received any of it. Right? It wasn't just some spiritualized fulfillment. Sarah had a son. And God promised to bring us a Savior. And Mary had a son. And God promised to deliver us. And we will be delivered. See, God keeps his word. And you don't have to squint your eyes or twist your ears around and think about how he's going to do that. When God says he's going to save you, he's going to save you. See, there is promises that God gives and there's faith that we, restore, we, we have to respond to. But we also have to remember that God is a God that keeps his word. He keeps his word. And so there are promises, brothers and sisters, that we have already received. All right? we, by faith, we accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. We have received salvation. We have received that. It is by faith that we have received the Holy Spirit and dwells in our lives. It is by faith we receive his word, his, his revelation to us. By faith we receive our ministry that he tells us we each have. It's by faith we receive so much. But there is something that we have not fully received yet. It is the salvation of this world, right? It is, it is the change where God comes back. Jesus comes back and, well, actually, he wipes away this world and makes a new one. It's his second coming that we have not received. But as surely as he keeps all the other promises, he will keep this too so we don't lose heart. This world will be made right. And there is hope before us. And we have to cling to faith even in that. So what Abraham shows us is an amazing pattern, just like the week before there was a pattern of betrayal and judgment and hope. God shows us through Abraham a new pattern, a better way of living, promises and faith in God's fulfillment. So what do you do with this? Um, well, I want to bring this message to a close. And so what I'd like you to do is take out your connection cards and on the back, and as the worship team can come up, um, as we kind of bring this to a close, take out the, your connection card. And, and I have some suggestions on the back of this way of how do you put that faith into action? Well, the first thing I think is maybe memorize Genesis 15:6. Why? Because the world will tell you the way of righteousness is through, is through, well, 
legalism, I guess, or is through self-righteousness, is by doing good things, is by living the right life, by, by being a good person, by living according to your conscience. That's what it says. And Genesis 15, 6 shows us Jesus didn't preach a new gospel. It wasn't like the apostles came and all of a sudden this brand new, this new way of righteousness appeared. It was from the very beginning that it is by faith that we are made right. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. When we are tempted to, one, seek self-righteousness, because that will happen, or two, when we are tempted by, by the despair of the fact, the reality that I'm not self-righteous, this verse is powerful. It is the truth of God that says it is not a righteousness that comes from you. It is God who brings you righteousness. But what is required of you is faith. It is the way that we relate to God. Maybe this is the passage you need to memorize or to meditate on, to think about. What makes someone right? God does. God makes us right. And how does he do that? Well, we receive that when we we have faith. So hold to that faith. Maybe that's the verse you need to. Maybe what you need to do is read Genesis 12 through 21. Why? It's the story of Abraham. You want to talk about, some of us, we think life is so long. And other times it feels short, but so long. So long to be so faithful to God all the time. Are you kidding me? It's so hard. You read this. Abraham didn't have a simple life. It wasn't always easy. It wasn't like God was always appearing to him like, hey. I mean, he had times he was afraid. He had times he failed. He had times, and yet he was a man of faith. So much that God was able to keep his amazing promises through him, and we are blessed because of him. If you want to see how God works in real people (laughs) to change the world, and to change your lives and, and to see that he's present even when it just takes a while. Man, read, read the story of Abraham. That's Genesis 12 through 21. Do that this week. How about this? Ask for faith to trust in God's promise. You know that faith is, is hard. I think that you all would agree that have faith. You would say there are times it's easy and there are times it is just not. You know what we can do is we can always ask God for faith. There was a, there was a man whom uh, Jesus was, was going to help heal his daughter. And uh, the guy said... Uh, Jesus said, well, you believe I can do this? And the man said, I believe, just help me believe. You know what a perfect prayer, because God wants to help us with that. Maybe in your life, you look at the promises that God has for you, but they're hard to cling to right now. They just seem like the impossible. And you might be like Abraham saying, God, what could you add to me? You're not keeping this one thing right here. Maybe what you need to do this week is pray and ask God for faith to trust in his promise. Have him help you, and he will. But be real with them, just like Abraham was. Or maybe what you need to do is to trust God's promise with obedience. You're not going to be righteous because of obedience, but it's through obedience by faith that God's able to work in your life. Abraham was obedient. He moved from one country to another. He left everything, took everything. He was all in. And maybe in your life, maybe there are things you say, you know what, God, I, I want to receive your promise in my life. I want to see it. But I don't. Yet. Maybe what you need to do by faith, be like Abraham. Maybe you need to pack up. Maybe you need to trust God and say, all right, I'm all in. You know, if, if it's a marriage thing, it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love my spouse. This is going to be really hard. Maybe it's a financial thing. Okay, God, I'm going to give you all of my finances. It doesn't mean you give everything you own to the church. It means you give everything you own to God and say, whatever you want, God, that's what you have. Maybe it's, I've got time issues and I'm feeling stressed. You know what, God, I'm going to give you all of my time. I'm going to spend it the way you want. Whatever it is, then you say, God, I'm going to trust that you are bigger in my life than I am and that you're going to bring about purpose in my life. So it's obedience. I'm going to trust you. 
Or maybe there's something else that you need to do this week. A new way, a different way, or something that God's calling the Holy Spirit to say, you know what, I need to respond to faith like this. Let us know so I can pray for you, that our staff can pray for you, our pastors. Maybe there's a prayer request that you have too. Maybe something's going on in your life and you need to have God show up. Well, he tells us to pray. So ask us. We will pray. We will pray on your behalf as well. So write that down here in a minute. We're going to take our, our offerings with our, um, our tithes and our offerings. I would like you to put these connection cards in that basket with those, if you would, please. So well, let's play, pray for all of those um, as, we, as we bring this portion to a close. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I'm ever aware that you are a sovereign God, and you are, and you're powerful. God, and that you are present in our lives. There's, there's no doubt about this. We see your hand in, in so many areas. And yet, Father, the promises you give us sometimes seem hard to believe. Uh, that you love us, that you forgive us, Lord, when we still feel guilt. With, <laughs> that you are making us into to saints, even when, Father, we still have that old sin nature still doing battle in our hearts that you will care for us, Lord, when we see the, the difficulties of this world and that seem so hard to survive in, Father, to trust that you actually care for us and will take care of us. To love our enemies and the, to, to be kind to those who are difficult for us, Father, when, when it just goes against everything in our nature and our being, God, you give us promises and you tell us that, that we can overcome and that we can be your children. But Lord, help us with that. Father, you give us these promises that are amazing and we trust you. But help us trust with faith. Give us the sense like Abraham to believe you. To believe you enough that we would be willing to change our lives to follow you. And God, for those of us in our church that uh, are struggling right now with faith, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would, uh, would fill their life in such a way that encourage them, to help them take hold of the promise. Help them not lose faith. Father, help us to be a people that trusts you so we can live boldly in this life and await the coming of Jesus and the, and the fruition of all of our faith as you remake the world. So, Father, we trust you as we, we know that you do keep your promise. And so, Lord, we also want to take this time too. And by faith, we're going to give you our tithes, our offerings, a portion back which we know that you gave us because you asked us to do it. Lord, may these tithes and these offerings be a symbol of our love and our trust in you, an act of faith that you will bless, Father, so that many others can know the good news of who Jesus is and what you've done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.